0: Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enrollhand, where we help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Glad to be here, Alex. So um, I, I wanted, before we start and dive into your role as superintendent, to for our audience to learn a bit more about you, about Tim, the person, not Tim, the superintendent. So is there a reason why you, you've stayed in New York throughout your career?
2: Well, I, actually, actually, technically... Um... I did. I, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana, uh, okay. and I came to New York after I finished my bachelor's degree at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, so certainly, I've, I've grown up professionally here in New York, uh, and I did literally all of my graduate work uh, at SUNY Brockport and then Canisius College, and then most recently at Columbia University. So it's true, all of my most recent uh, college work, and certainly. All of my professional work has been in New York. I've loved being in New York. Uh, It's given me great professional opportunities. uh, And I've been in the public school business for a very long time. Um, I've sat in just about every imaginable chair. I've been a teacher, a school counselor, a staff development director, an elementary school principal, uh, I've had several district office positions uh, k-12 social studies director of internal school operations and of course more recently superintendent I've worked in suburban districts urban districts and now I'm currently in a rural district in New York and even though I've been in uh, three different areas of the state I um, and New York's a pretty big place, so most people only think of New York City, but uh, there's a lot of, of New York outside of New York City, and I've worked in in three of the different regions of New York. All of them have uh, been very rewarding to me, both personally and professionally.
1: And is there something in particular that has kept your interest all these years in New York? I mean, maybe personally or within the the educational context, if you like, have you ever had the the temptation to—I to, uh, bet you've had the offers nationwide to just get up and leave.
2: I haven't felt motivated to do that. I would tell you that uh, if I ever did leave New York, it would be for someplace warmer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Take us um, through your typical day. I mean, uh, a day, uh, uh, your your daily. Routine, your how you wake up, if you have any commute time, just to get a better understanding of what a typical day for Tim looks like.
2: Well, there's, I I don't know that my days are very typical. um okay. I could I can tell you that uh, I I do consider it important to eat breakfast every morning, so I never skip breakfast, and I usually have a, a healthy breakfast, and then I'm I'm often on the road to begin my day. I. Uh, I do make it a point. So in the course of a week, my goal, my target is to be in every school every week. I have seven school buildings in my district um, and I've been pretty successful. I have a personal tracking system that I use uh, for my own personal accountability to meet that goal. So when I'm out visiting schools, I have a book and I record what classroom I was in, who the teacher was, what the class was what they were teaching at that time and how many minutes I was in that 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 particular classroom I spend anywhere from 8 to max 20 minutes in a classroom every once in a while I'll be invited to a particular presentation that will go longer than that so sometimes either the teacher or students will say Mr. Mains can you come and see my class do x and I'll schedule to go in there um, because of that accountability system and holding my, my own feet to the fire about meeting that target, I was successful last year in being present at some point in the course of the year in every one of our 400 plus classrooms.
1: That's, that's amazing. So be, before diving into your, your a bit, I would like to go through your personal journey throughout the, the roles uh, you have taken. But I had this, uh, I was going through your, your Twitter feed, and I don't know if you actually know this about yourself, but 25% of your tweets have to do with NASA. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, if there, what is it that fascinates you about NASA?
2: So, um, I, you know, I really love science. Um, you know, uh, in fact, I, I have a T-shirt that says, science is magic that works. Um, <laughs> And um, so I I, I I try to uh, retweet things from different sites that I think will be helpful to, I, I have a lot of students who follow me. Hmm. Um, so most of my followers, I have a handful of district employees, um, a handful of parents, but I've got a lot of students who follow me, uh, mostly because I tweet snow days. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. they want to yeah. be they want to be the first in the know about that. And that has attracted a lot of students. And knowing that I have that that, uh, profile of followers, uh, I try and make sure that besides bragging about the great things that happen in our district, that I also use my Twitter account to uh, push information out that might pique the interest of some of the kids who are following me. And a lot of NASA's posts, I think, are very interesting. And and informational, that would be good things for my students to follow and, and pick up additional information about.
1: And Tim, if you hadn't chosen, so I, I see you chose to go into education from a, a very early age. That's what you studied at the end of the day. If you, today, if I were to ask you, if you hadn't chosen to go into education, um, what, what do you think you would be doing? Have you ever thought about that? If I hadn't gone into education? If you hadn't. What, what, was there any other career? You had considered you have considered in your life or um,
2: really? well my my father really wanted to me to be an attorney, but um that that was not interesting to me my when I did a career interest inventory way way, way back when I was in high school, uh it told me that I should consider being a priest or a forest ranger, so i I kind of do like the outdoors but i I really can't imagine being a forest ranger because I like interacting with people too much so I suppose I would do something in that, that had me interacting with folks a lot. I, I have, in the course of my a very long career in education, had the opportunity to do a couple of other things. I did an internship with Xerox Corporation and, and worked for them for about a year in the Department of Internal Audit and Operational Analysis. So I learned how to do financial audits and operational audits in, in that role. And I found that work very fascinating. And in fact, was offered a job full time after I finished my internship with Xerox, but at the end of the day, um, rather than move to California and and take a job working in an office for them out there, I felt like not. Nah, I I really like helping kids, and I believe strongly that schools are the great equalizer. It gives a chance for kids who otherwise might have not may not have an equal shot to be successful, and um, that's what. Got me into the education game, and that's what keeps me in the education game. I, I'm old enough to have retired many years ago, and I keep at it because I feel like I've accumulated enough experience to make a difference in the lives of kids. And if I can continue to have that impact as long as I have my health, I'm intending to continue this work.
1: So so let's uh, dig deeper into that, and let's start from your early days at uh, Greece Central School District, right? You were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were. 30 plus years, an educator there. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you wish you knew on your first day as an educator there? What did you wish you knew that you know today?
2: If I could give advice to my younger self, I would remind my younger self that uh, not everything has to be perfect and that perfect should not um, mask my ability to recognize that I was still doing some things well. Um, And, and, Today, I will often say don't let perfect be the enemy of good to my staff that you know you can I know we all want it to be the best that it can be, and I hold myself to pretty high standards and I want my staff to do the same, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to accept the fact that something went well even if it wasn't as exactly the way we wanted it to be I think that's that's one piece of advice I would have given my younger self
1: so you you stay that uh, Greece central. A school district as an educator, right, for 30 plus years, and then you moved to Rochester City. Am I am I right there?
2: That's correct. I was a teacher, a school counselor, and staff teacher center director, and then staff development director in Greece. And then I moved to the city of Rochester. Uh, Greece is a suburb of Rochester, so I uh, moved to a different school district because I had the chance to become an elementary school principal and uh, have a more profound impact in a building where ninety-three uh, percent of the children got free or reduced-price
1: lunch, I read about that, and um, I read that you you achieved record test test scores there. And um, I remind, I, I remember reading that a big part of that had to do with uh, parent engagement and and getting uh, making changes to the, the PTA, if I'm not mistaken, and and a, a lot of work around making parents partners within the the educational context if you like.
2: Yes, that that was that was a piece absolutely a a piece of of the effort that we made there when we didn't want parents just to show up at parent conferences, we wanted parents to feel empowered to know how to help their children with their homework and and um, what kinds of things they could do at home that would help their children be successful at school. So our effort, our intent was to make sure that our work with parents was truly in elevating them to become partners with us. Um, I, I would often remind my staff that parents were our kids' first teachers, <laughs> Uh, They got them on the journey of learning um, and that that journey didn't end just because they came to us that we needed to continue to help give parents tools that they could use to continue helping their kids to be successful in school. And uh, in the school I was in that I had a lot of parents who never finished high school themselves um, and who didn't necessarily have a positive experience in school, didn't like school, felt uncomfortable coming to school. So we needed to work to make sure that school was a welcoming place, a friendly place, that they had unquestionable sense when they came to us that we wanted them to be there. And uh, when we wanted to help them learn some new skill or, or give them some new tool. So for example, you may be aware, we, we seem in in education, to change how we teach math, about once every generation, so no parent could ever possibly help their child with math. And realizing that how we teach math was so different from how most parents had learned math, we decided we wanted to give our our parents a lot of tools in that arena. So we began a program uh, of math that we taught at different times of the day to accommodate the different times that parents were available. So when we had something that we said, this is something we think every parent should know, then we didn't teach it once in an evening program. We taught it four times. So we had, we invited parents to have math for breakfast and another group of parents would come for math for lunch. And then we had math snack in the late afternoon after school. And then we had, we had dessert math, which was intended for after supper. And in all of those events, we always had food because that got people, more people there. And we gave parents tools that were on a level that they could understand. Um, so we didn't target it to really sophisticated language, or because I understood that I had a lot of parents who had not finished high school in my population, and gave them tools, and then taught them how to use the tools. We taught, we, in, in this case, we gave them math games that we were using at school. And they actually made the games while they were in the session with us. And we knew what ages their children were. So they might make um, two or three different games that were age appropriate for the different age children that we have. And then we, we played the games with them and they played the games with us. And then they were able to take them home with them and they could play those games then with their children at home.
1: That's uh, interesting. So what you're saying, I mean, uh, there's these two different schools of thought about parent engagement, which is one is parents as partners, meaning that if you give parents the opportunity to, to contribute and participate as equal partners in the, in, into the education of their children, they will take that. You just make have to make it Uh, feasible, easy, like what you were just describing. And there's this other school, I don't know if I would call it a school of thought, but a different way of thinking about it at least, which is, uh, and we've heard about it a lot, uh, schools as trying to, that this does not suffice and you need to incentivize parents more by making schools as uh, community hubs or community centers, if you will, uh, adding benefits to to schools to incentivize parents to show up such as medical and dental clinics uh, adult courses counseling things like that so from from your your sayings i understand that you are more to you you're you're more in favor of the former rather than the latter i mean you you seem to be saying that opening the door is sufficient to bringing parents into the school.
2: So uh, actually, no, I, I believe that you can do both of those things together. Um, okay. at, as a school principal, I didn't have the resources to uh, take the second approach. Um, but in my previous district, in uh, when I was the superintendent of the Jamestown Public Schools, we did receive additional monies from the state for specifically intended to help us expand opportunities as what's called a community school. Uh, and we took two of our schools and spent those dollars to uh, bring in additional resources so that uh, those schools could become one-stop shops where uh parents could come in and have access to social service representatives, for example. Um, we got counseling services provided by the county embedded in our school. So if your child needed counseling and you signed permission, then we could provide that service to the children in school and you didn't have to come and take them out of school to go to an appointment. We could do it right there in school. Um, if I had been able to get the money to put a uh, community health center in my school in Rochester, I would have gladly done it. Um, but it, it, it's a question of that latter, that second approach that you're suggesting, uh, which I think is important and can have a very strong and positive impact. Is not cheap. It 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 re- relies on being able to form partnerships with community agencies and organizations, and it also means that you have to have the funds to pay for some of those additional programs and services that get parents in so that you can acquaint them with the availability of those programs and services.
1: Got you. And say you're um, a new principal starting out in a, in a district that's low-income, low-trust uh, environment, what would you prioritize? Um, Would you prioritize trying to turn your school or to at least add some of these benefits to your school and gear it towards more of a community school? Uh, And do you go out and uh, try and find those funds? uh, Or do you prioritize um, getting internal alignment and focusing on the initiatives you can drive internally uh, and bringing parents in?
2: If I have to say between those two approaches... Which is more available to student learning, um, I would say it's the first and not the second. Keep in mind that um, there's also a uh, there are a fair number of professionals sadly um, in education who want to blame parents <laughs> for um, the way that their kids come to school and and so there are i'm I certainly have learned that there are certain pockets of uh, professionals who inappropriately and and unfortunately judge parents by their own middle class upbringing and if they're if they haven't interacted with people from uh, less fortunate circumstances, they don't understand that these aren't choices that parents make it's simply the condition that parents are in and that families are in and so rather than blame parents we need to see them as partners uh, dr. Karen Mapp, who has done a lot of research and has um, what's called the dual capacity framework uh, advocates for trying to build simultaneously the capacity of parents to do what I was talking about before, support their child's learning and improve the capacity of the school to recognize that parents need to be their, their partners. They need to be working in partnership with parents Um, and that means that, that to a certain extent, they also need to be aware of the needs that parents and families have. Uh, and that leads to the second kind of approach that you were discussing, that community school approach that, um, tries to provide the school as a hub to provide resources beyond simple instruction of children. Um, so I certainly believe that, that you can't. I could I could be providing a bunch of resources, but I, if I haven't gotten the parents in to recognize that we want to be a partner with them, then i'm I'm certainly helping the family, but I haven't necessarily done work to specifically help further the learning for children, and that kind of very specific work can best be done if teachers see parents as their partners and parents feel the same way about their child's teacher
1: makes uh, a lot of sense uh, so in uh, as you mentioned in Jamestown uh, you were able um, to do to, to do both in parallel I mean you you because you did at the end uh, achieve through the promise fund if I'm not mistaken to to add uh, a number of, of uh, benefits to the school uh, but from what I understand, the, the starting point was quite tough. I mean, you were in a very difficult situation financially. So how, uh, give us a bit of context. How did you turn that around? I mean, where does one start? But
2: before I before I had come to Jamestown, the district had spent several years uh, drawing down from its reserves and basically emptying their reserves to try and keep programs afloat because, uh, the district had been struggling as many districts, not only in New York, but around the country, uh, suffered from the great recession that occurred after 2008. Um, and so, you know, there's a period of time where Jamestown literally let go a hundred teachers, uh, closed a school, drained their reserves. And when I got there, there was, uh, about, Uh, a quarter million dollars left in fund balance for a budget of um, over $70 million, that's not a lot of wiggle room. So uh, we did two things. We started working immediately on efficiencies and managing our budget so that we could start rebuilding the reserves. And uh, we launched into a community project to write a strategic plan and uh, that initiative engaged uh, approximately 120 people from around, the, there were teachers and administrators and parents, uh, even some students, uh, community members that worked on different teams to try and say, okay, wh- where do we need, what do we need to do to, to get ourselves back on a trajectory of being successful? The, um, the graduation rate had slipped um, quite a bit. Um, and so what did we need to do to put ourselves on track? And part of that strategic plan that we constructed in that first year, uh, and then rolled out at the beginning of my second year in Jamestown, one of the key priorities that was identified in that plan was parent engagement. Um, and so because it was a priority in the strategic plan that helped me work with the board of education, about identifying our spending priorities as we prepared our annual budget. Um, And one of the things we did as a result of that was because of the savings we had accomplished and um, the work that we were doing to rebuild our uh, reserves, we were able to spend funds, um, some of our title money, in fact, that we were getting, uh, to hire an individual who had worked directly with Dr. Karen Mapp Uh, We hired her through the Scholastic organization and um, used Title I funds to get her to come in and do training. And we formed a team. Every school had a team that included uh, parents, teachers, and other staff in the the school, including the school principal. And all of them went through uh, two full days of training in the summer and then three additional days spread out the course of the year. So that every school was developing a plan in their school, in their building to um, implement this dual capacity framework that I, I mentioned before um, and to, to develop stronger and tighter alliances between the building staff and the parents. And then uh, fortunately, the New York state budget in the third year that I was there, um, came up and gave us an additional $140,000 in our allocation that year specifically intended to be used only for community school initiatives. So we were able to add that uh, on top of the work that we were continuing to do with our school engagement team, I'm sorry, our parent engagement teams in every building. Um, And as I said, because of the $140,000 limit, we chose the two neediest schools in the District and implemented the program there.
1: And uh, how, if we move to Pine Bush uh, School District, uh, how, are the challenges uh, are, are there any challenges that you're finding today similar to your history, to to your past challenges, and are you replicating the, the way you tackle them uh, today too? So the
2: um I. Every, <clears throat> just as every school has its own culture and and every school is a little bit different so um schools are different even within the same district uh certainly districts also have their own culture and and uh differ there are some um there is some uh, a pattern of challenges i think that we all face uh in all schools but how we respond to those is, is heavily influenced by the traditions and the and the culture in every district. Um, Pine Bush, unlike Jamestown, instead of being a district that had been in, de- I mean, Jamestown had been a, a high performing district once upon a time. But when I got there was a district in decline, and our job was to do what we could to get it back on track. Pine Bush, by comparison, is a district that has been doing well continues to do well. We have a 91% graduation rate. There's no perceivable performance gap uh, for our subpopulations. Um, we even have uh, a graduation rate for our special education students that's twice the state average. So, um, so, so. Are there, are
1: there any differences between uh, elementary, middle school, high school, or is it across the board a a, a good picture?
2: The, so I, you know. Certainly the things that are happening in Pine Bush are – Pine Bush doesn't have the challenges. That said, we do have an identifiable population of needy kids. 44% of our kids get free or reduced-price lunch. So it's not like we don't have any poor kids in the district. We do. Um, And it's not as though there are things that we would want to do here. So I would say one approach that I have – Taken in both Pine Bush and Jamestown um, was the use of full time release instructional coaches as a support mechanism for any kind of change that we're trying to implement in the classroom and in the schools. So um, in Jamestown, I made heavy use of of instructional coaches, adding each year adding more and more instructional coaches, To help with the rollout of of new initiatives and new approaches, here it's been a bit a bit slower in um, the increasing the number of coaches. But clearly, each year that I've been here, we've increased uh, by one or two the number of coaches. So uh, at this point, I'm now in. uh, I finished two years. I'm uh, starting my third year in Pine Bush. I've had. um, We now have three. Um, full-time release coaches who work with uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, STEAM. Um, we've uh, we've introduced just this year uh, two new full-time release literacy coaches. Um, and we have two technology coaches. And next year, we're going to add a third technology integration coach to help our staff deal with um, increased use of technology with uh, our students in the classroom. So so the, I would say, even though we've used them in different ways, the use of coaches to make sure that professional learning is embedded in their day-to-day practice, we view as a, a much more valuable approach than the kind of, not that we don't do some sit and get staff development programs, but the if, if we do a program in staff development, then we've got coaches in the building and there's follow-up to the what we present in a, in a standalone session that you might come and attend for a half a day or a whole day or a couple of hours. There's a follow-up to that so that you haven't just seen it presented to make you aware that you could do this. Now, we expect you to go and try it. And oh, by the way, there's a coach here to help you who will either do it with you or will model it and you can watch or we'll watch you do it and give you feedback. Um, And so people understand that when we show them something new, that there is follow-up to that so that we are more likely to see it being implemented in the classroom and having a positive impact on student learning.
1: Good. Uh, And you also went through a a deep, again, uh, similar to Jamestown, a deep strategic plan uh, process involving, again, a uh, um, number of uh, students, parents, staff, et cetera. But we
2: had even more participants in, in Jamestown. I think we had about 110 or 120. And um, in Pine Bush, we had 200. The districts are about the same size, uh, 5,000 mm. 5, students. But um, but the reason that we wrote the strategic plan in Pine Bush was different. In Pine Bush, we were already doing well. And the strategic plan was not intended to uh, help us recover and get better. It was, um, it was trying to wrestle with the question, how do we make the best use of our resources and how do we teach our staff to replace the old mass education that most of us went through when we were going through school with an approach that's more personalized, that allows students to take different paths and move at different paces to show their mastery of the same standards. Um, so the personalized, trying to transition to a more personalized approach from the mass education approach is the focus of the strategic plan in Pine Bush. But yes, I have, um, I've utilized the same multiple stakeholder engagement, um, in a process of trying to, uh, refine, write and refine that plan, um, in both places. And then the, then that plan becomes kind of, a not a not a recipe, it's not that we have to do everything in the plan, but a guidebook uh, or a map that we say, okay, here's what we think we need to do, recognizing that when we wrote it, we may not have known everything that we need to know to carry this out, but we're making our best guess and our best prediction of what things we should do. So um, uh, an example of something in our strategic plan uh, in Pine Bush that we wasn't at all in the strategic plan in, in Jamestown, is we've said, okay, we want to now go further and make sure that every school is is developing their own portrait of a graduate, um, something advocated by Ed Leader 21 and Battelle for Kids. Uh, we also have said, uh, gee, if we're going to have kids following different curricula, there's going to be different paths and people moving at different paces. We need to have a container for all this curriculum. So we're going to need to adopt a learning management system, uh, which we don't have currently. So we're in the process of reviewing, uh, establishing a process for that selection and then reviewing uh, options. And eventually we'll, we'll pilot that LMS uh, here in Pine Bush to, to move in that direction, but different, different intent of the strategic plan, but the process of creating both strategic plans was very similar.
1: It was very similar. Uh, well, uh, I mean, we we've worked with a bunch of uh, much smaller schools of course and uh, a personalized approach to to learning for a school that's between 200 and 600 kids is is much easier when you have 5,000 5,200 kids uh trying to to shift uh towards a, a personalized uh possibly self-paced or uh, um different paths, if you like, for each uh, student is is uh, very ambitious and a huge huge challenge so shifting uh, to to the the final part or a, a few more questions I have regarding strategic communications, internal communication, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, you are a person who likes to be on the ground, you like to be in classrooms. Even on your Twitter feed that you just mentioned, you like being in direct contact with your uh, family population. And my question is: with throughout your career, with a number all the challenges you have had, it could be um, academic outcomes, it could be uh, financial issues, it could be a socially charged climate. To what extent do top-down strategic communications work for you or have they worked for you compared w- with you being on the ground, being the face of the school, yourself and, and your leadership team, your principals, of course? Uh, do you believe in one more than the other? Do you? Is it a balancing act? How, how do you see this?
2: Um, I, I certainly believe that um, a- as a leader, I have a responsibility to keep reminding people about where we're going. <laughs> so, so part of the messaging that, that I do and that my top team does, uh, mm-hmm. cause we, we work very much collaboratively as a team, uh, my two assistant superintendents and I consider ourselves the Troika that, that manages the district. Um, there are some things legally that I have to be the final say on, but we consult with one another, um, weekly, sometimes daily. Uh, But certainly where we're going, I I often have to remind people because this is a journey, this journey that we're on to try and personalize learning is not something that's going to happen in a single day or a single week or a single year. Um, And I have to remind people what piece of it we're doing. So I do that in a lot of ways. I have an opening convocation every year where I speak to the entire staff uh, I always remind people of my worldview. In my worldview, I don't care whether you have a certificate or not. I don't care whether you have a degree or not, um, whether you have legitimately are, are licensed as a teacher. As far as I'm concerned, if you're an adult working with children in our district, you're a teacher. Um, everybody's a teacher. We all have that responsibility. So I try and message both where we're going. And I also try and message the fact that we are, we need to rely on one another and work with one another collaboratively. Um, But I don't believe that communication is a one-way street. So I don't believe that we only, I only have the responsibility to tell everybody what we think they should be doing. I try and tell them where I think we're headed, recognizing that different people are going to take different approaches to getting there. Um, I've reminded everyone when we rolled out the strategic plan, for example, it's very ambitious. There's a lot in here. Um, I don't want anyone to feel like it's their responsibility to do everything in this plan. In fact, I would like everyone to read to the plan and pick just one thing, one domain or one goal within one domain or one action step within one goal within one domain and commit yourself to that one thing. And if everybody picks just one thing. I'm convinced as large as our staff is, we'll have enough people covering all the bases to get it all done. Um, One of the reasons why I'm in schools all the time isn't just to be able to see in real time what it looks like on the ground in the classroom, but I'm also putting myself out there. So uh, what happens is there's a lot of informal communication that occurs because I'm in the classroom and because I'm in the hallways in the school. So people will stop me and say, oh, Mr. Raines, can I ask you something? And I want people to feel like they have a, a hand in this big effort that we're doing to, to move things. And I want people to feel like they have access to me and that they can communicate to me. Um, so part of that routine presence in the schools is, frankly, part of that strategic communication process of making sure they have the sense that I'm accessible to them uh, and that I want to hear from them. Uh, I also, we also do a lot of surveys. Um, we do climate surveys where we ask both students, staff, and parents what they think about how things are going in their schools. And I personally do a uh, performance survey where I ask people to give me anonymous feedback about the kind of job that I'm doing so that I can fi- hear from people in that way
1: hello no so Tim this has been uh, great information for our audience it's been a pleasure having you on uh, uh, thank you very very much for, for being with us
2: yep I I really enjoyed it Alex and uh, wish all of your colleagues and schools uh, the very best as they continue in this school year Thank
1: you Tim have a great day thank you bye 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 <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enrollhand. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.